Welcome back to City in Focus. I'm Gloria Olivares. On this month's episode, we'll learn about CRM. What is CRM? It's what's happening every time you call the city. We'll also visit animal care and control to see the ins and outs of keeping pets healthy and happy. Our first story is about an exciting project that will change the look of the Golden Gate Bridge. Doyle Drive is the long road that climbs to the bridge through the Presidio. Replacing the aging structure with a new parkway will be like the redesign of the Embarcadero, a transformation of San Francisco's waterfront. In this fabulously beautiful Presidio National Park at the headlands of the Golden Gate and running like a scar through it is this, you know, this incredibly ugly uh, highway which was built in 1936 at the same time as the Golden Gate Bridge. At that time the Presidio was an army post and the army didn't want people, didn't want civilians in their turf so the road was built high, elevated, it's, it's obsolete now. We need access. Uh, we can't have that kind of traffic circling through San Francisco neighborhoods trying to get into the Presidio through the old gates. What you have is a 70-year-old facility that is inadequate for today's transportation needs, but in addition to that, you have the problem that it wasn't designed to seismic standards. The rating for the high viaduct is a lower rating than the Minneapolis bridge that collapsed. It was fabricated on the East Coast. It sent all the way across the United States, and then it sat for uh, quite a while before it was used. So it became rusty before it was uh, installed. A state highway through a federal national park connecting an independently managed bridge to city streets. This is a prescription for complication. It became very clear that unless there was one catalyst organization that took it on as a challenge, it wasn't going to happen. And so that's what we did. We, we established a focus of analysis and ultimately an opportunity for people to advocate for something that was better than what we had there today. And we couldn't have done otherwise because the project has a structural um, uh, rating of two out of a hundred. You can see the uh, rusting uh, reinforcing in the concrete when you look at the edges of it now. The deck has steel reinforcing in it that's totally corroded and has lost two-thirds of its strength. This was accelerated in 1989 when the Loma Prieta earthquake hit. Caltrans came in and strengthened these beams, strengthened these connections, but really without replacing it you can't, you, you can't bring it up to current seismic standards. To fix this road will cost more than to replace it. So for the past 18 years, uh, we have been working on a design to replace the roadway, but to do it in a way that makes it really appropriate to be in a national park and not in an army post. I would say that is one of the more ugly structures I know about. It is a barrier between this marsh and the Presidio and the Palace of Fine Arts. One cannot walk there, ride a bike there, take a stroller there. This area has not always been this attractive. This area now is a place where hundreds of people come to promenade on Sundays or weekends. A few weekends ago, I brought my daughter, my grandson, the grand dog, went over to the Marine Center, um, 
had picnic lunch on one of these berms watching the birds. It's just been uh, memorable to use this whenever we come here. What will it look like when, let's say, the design and development have been completed and we're about to begin construction? We are not so sure we want an eight-lane highway going through this part of town. It is one of the more beautiful areas in a, a natural seaport area on the planet. The road is going to be so different. It's really a parkway, and it's a parkway through the national park. Painter's design makes the road as much as possible disappear to people who are visiting the national park. And where it is visible, it has to be beautiful, landscaped, elegant. The road, rather than being way up in the air, is about 20 feet lower than it is today. Normally, in midday, you're going through in about two minutes. Looking back from the Golden Gate Bridge to the Presidio, you're going to be much more aware of parkland and much less aware of road. The High Viada will parallel the existing one, but it's on a gentle curve and it's a little bit to the south, so it can be built while the existing one remains in operation. And, and it's two bridges there with uh, open space in between them. Your views are constantly uh, changing. You're, you're just not as conscious of the traffic coming in the opposite direction, so, so you'll notice the views a lot more. The lanes, of course, are about a foot wider than they are uh, today. There'll be uh, shoulders, so if your car becomes disabled, you can pull off to the edge. The next area, the tunnel portal, will have a view centered on the uh, Palace of Fine Arts. And as you come out, you'll be able to see Alcatraz Island and the bay and uh, Chrissy Field. Then you get to the main post area. You go into another tunnel that's about a 1,000 feet long. Uh, and when you come into one, you can see out the other end. It's almost like you feel like you're driving through a building rather than uh, driving through a tunnel. Noise from the roadway will be totally uh, sheltered, and uh, it'll, the traffic will be out of view. When you come out of the last short tunnel, and as you look for, uh, forward, what you see is the golden dome of the Palace of Fine Arts, and behind that, the tip of the Transamerica Pyramid. Now, what more emblematic way to come into San Francisco than through that gateway? It's, it's just going to be amazing, the transformation. Uh, the, I mean, now you read it as one section. The road is a major barrier, and then a wonderful strip along the uh, water. All those things are going to mesh uh, together. Right now, the road really cuts off this area from public access. And with the new road, we're going to be able to open up the opportunity uh, in a whole different way. This bunker that we see now is really totally out of access to the general public. We're really uh, excited about being able to completely represent this site. The idea here would be, as we said, uh, restoring uh, the battery itself but then to be able to open up these uh, magnificent views. So what we want to do is to, to add to this wonderful amenity, to be able to restore this coastal bluff area, to respect its military history, uh, to re-landscape it, to provide improved trail access through here. And the dual drive project is allowing us to do that important reconnection. So this area isn't sort of splintered off from the rest of the Presidio. 
we can see here how dramatic of a change it will be when dual drive is depressed in this section and you have a cover that connects the cemetery to this site it's an immensely important project on a statewide and national basis but you could rush a project through and just replace in kind or you could put the thought that's gone into this project about creating something of real lasting public benefit we really want this to everybody to feel like it's a win situation whether you're a neighbor that lives nearby whether you're a commuter or a user of the park that everyone will experience a much better situation than they currently have the human interest to me has been how people could work out so many challenging differences to come to a design that we believe will give us a jewel landmark of a place I'm sure it will have a defining effect just like the Embarcadero did and mind you when the Embarcadero freeway came down there were some people who were concerned about that who wanted the freeway rebuilt nobody would think of that today when you when you look at the magnificent growth and transformation that happened on the Embarcadero the same thing will happen with oil it will be a cherished part of the city and a worthy addition to what's already there it will be a safe and spectacularly beautiful entrance to a spectacularly beautiful city. It will be the entry from the Golden Gate that San Francisco deserves. The Doyle Drive replacement will begin in 2009 and the new road will open in 2013. To learn more about the new parkway, visit the website of the San Francisco County Transportation Authority. The city's new 311 call center recently answered its one millionth call for service. Where do the customer service representatives get their answers? They use CRM, Customer Relationship Management. Abandoned vehicle detail is a group of officers that receive complaint generated requests for going out and marking a vehicle that's been abandoned for more than 72 hours. People would call in and because the voice prompt wasn't clear for them, they didn't know if someone was on the line, if they were supposed to hear something and they'd be like, hello, hello. Very frustrating. What's interesting about this process is it's, it's quite a simple procedure and theory. Uh, however, with a voicemail labyrinth that existed prior, it was challenging for citizens to find the appropriate voicemail box, leave a message. Ford Bronco, uh, two-door. Sometimes we get multiple messages about the same vehicle. That process has been greatly streamlined by allowing for a centralized one contact phone call to the 311 center and a service request issued for that abandoned vehicle. 311 provides the human element, the interface with the customers. CRM provides the technology, the infrastructure, and the backbone, as well as the business process management on the back end to improve the service delivery. The CRM team and the back office program provided me with a whole new creativity that I did not know was part of that program. 
We've been able to help our customers become more efficient through different means. Technology is obviously one of them, but also process change is also a big piece of what we do. We work with clients, we um, identify their existing business processes, we identify what steps they take, beginning with the intake process and then ending with the resolution of a complaint. We will capture the information from the department and say, what do you need to know so that you can do your job? And for Bruton, go ahead with your auto view. They came in and they really did a very thorough job in troubleshooting our problem spots here and able to creatively come up with a different approach for us. We will go in and engage with the back office workers to design these processes and what questions do they need to have answered so that they can then have that information brought back to them through our software and they can then use that to do their job. The application that we're using offers us the ability to take city processes and to really tweak the application in ways to best serve each department. And so in doing that, we're able to meet the needs of pretty different departments throughout the city. I think the most interesting part of working at DDoS right now in this phase of DDoS's life is the interdepartmental collaboration that the technologies will allow us to introduce throughout the city. CRM is exciting for San Francisco because planners, other city departments can proactively plan services and provide services for the types of requests that people are making. We do add a lot of value in terms of web accessibility, in terms of tracking their work. Customer service is number one anywhere you go. And if you're treated well and if somebody listens to you and hears you, you feel like you've been treated well. Whether they're calling about a lost and found item, a pothole they need filled in by DPW, a tree that needs trimming, or just some information about what the library hours are. They're going to get a single point of contact and they'll get a similar experience on the phone that they do every time they call. It makes getting government services easier um, and more transparent. You can always get help with city services by calling 311. San Francisco doesn't have a dog catcher. The city doesn't have a dog pound either. Animal Care and Control are the people who provide care for lost and loose pets in the city. Charles Kramnack recently visited their Mission District facility for a top-to-tail tour. Well, welcome. This is hey, Carl. Great to meet you. Great to meet you. I want to thank you for your interest in our place. Uh, this is the city's animal shelter which means it's your animal shelter, so please come on in and let us show you everything that we do here. A lot of people come down here specifically either to adopt an animal, a lot of people come down here if they've lost their animal, uh, a lot of people come here uh, if they're looking for other animals. You know, we deal with more other animals than we do with dogs and cats. Birds, guinea pigs, hamsters, rabbits, you name it, we have it here. Obviously, this is our physical facility. There's a lot to see in the facility, but there's a lot more to see in the community. I suggest you go out with one of our animal control officers, see what they do for eight, ten hours a day, whether it's rescuing animals in distress, whether it's picking up animals that have been hit by car and are injured, whether it's dealing with aggressive animals, uh, whether it's dealing with uh, wildlife or a variety of things. You can only get that flavor from being with them and being in the field and actually doing it firsthand. I've been with Animal Care and Control for about six years. I spent a year working in the kennels. And then a position with the officers came up. 
I wasn't sure about it at first. I was like, oh, you know, I'm not very confrontational. I don't like accusing people of animal cruelty. And then I, I just started doing it, and I really, it really fits, you know, it's really a job for me. So. Animals I don't have to handle. If they're friendly, great. If they're not, I know exactly what I'm doing. I very rarely get scared. We do a lot of cruelty investigations, and most are, are not as bad as the people report them to be. Every now and again, they are. I've we've had a few cases. One of the officers found a dog that had been chained up in a bathroom, and the people moved out. And that makes me teary every time I think about it. Um, I've had a dog where they let the dog starve in the backyard. Had a few of those. I like to be able to save animals' lives, which is what I do. I can pull an animal out of a horrible environment and know that I've done something good. So, Ellie, where's the dog going after this? So, we're going to go and impound her, which means I'll check her for a microchip, give her a vaccinations, and set her up in a kennel. When Stray comes in, we want to get the location. They found the animal. As much information, if they had the collar on, if the dog stayed with them a few days, or if they just found it. Once we um, enter everything in the computer, um, a lot of times the finder wants the tracking number so they can call in a day or so and find out if the dog went back home. So what we do is we'll hold the dog for five days to see if anybody claims him. Okay, this is a stray dog. It came in today and the first thing we do is we inoculate it with the vaccine. Then we give it a room and give them food and water. After five days, we'll evaluate her for medical and behavior to see if anyone's um, interested in adopting her. We want to make sure that uh, the behavior is good enough for your average uh, adopter that would come into ACC and make sure there's no aggression problems, whether toward people or toward animals. She didn't freeze, she didn't growl, she didn't bite the hand, so she passed that. Good girl. And that, in case, um, you know, she had something in, your, in her mouth and you wanted to get it out. We do one more test, it's called a startle test, to see how she responds. It startled her, but she came right to me, which is a real good sign. She passed the handling tests. Good girl. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah. For medical exam, I uh, basically feel for any lumps and bumps. Uh, tumors on the ex outside of the animal. I look in the ears to see how those are, if they're infected, look at their eyes to make sure that they're clear, they don't have uh, cataracts, look at their teeth, listen to their heart. This is the first job I've had that I feel like I make a difference. So in the morning I do treatments, we'll do anywhere between 40 and 60, sometimes 80 animals a day for treatments. We do diagnostics, we do blood work, we'll do skin scrapings, fungal cultures to diagnose different types of diseases. We do x-rays. I can take an animal that normally would be euthanized at any other shelter, do a surgery on it, fix its eyes, spay and neuter it, and get it totally ready for adoption and get it a good home. We have a groomer here. It's a public-private partnership where basically we let a, a professional groomer run her private business from our facility, but in return, she grooms our shelter animals. Now, what's the big deal about grooming shelter animals? Well, when somebody comes down here to adopt an animal, if it's appealing, if it's groomed, if it smells good, chances of finding it a home are much greater. And we groom the dogs as needed. Whatever needs to be done, whether it's clipping or bathing, turning the toenails, cleaning the ears, or the whole works.
So typically a shelter wouldn't have grooming facilities no, at all? No, not at all. These dogs are treated with the utmost care that most shelters cannot provide. So what is that you're just pouring on there? We're using bring. a silk plum shampoo, mm -hmm. so it'll bring out her natural luster. Yes, that's a good girl. I'm so happy because I feel satisfied in helping the shelter pets ultimately become adoptable. And to be a part of such a wonderful staff, from the leadership from the top all the way down. If she passes our evaluation, she'll just stay till she gets adopted. If you were interested in a dog like you didn't want to put to sleep, what you would fill out is a form called CIP. It means call interested party. That means as a last resort, we would give you a call before you put it to sleep. That doesn't mean you're bound to the dog. Sometimes trainers don't want a dog, but they take it before it was put to sleep. We would give you a call, and it would be an actual adoption. So you would come in and adopt a dog. It would cost $107. Um, the dog would be fixed, get all his shots, microchip, and a dog license, and it would be your dog at that point. Volunteers to me are the unsung heroes in this in this field, the ones that actually take foster animals home, uh, whether the neonatal kittens or little birds that just fell out of a nest, so they can nurse them till they can get strong enough to come down here and for us to rehome them. Without volunteers, I really have to be very honest and say this wouldn't be much more than a pound. So uh, we just thank God we have a number of committed people coming down here and helping us out just makes all the difference in the world. When you first want to come in and volunteer, you go through a general orientation, which is about two hours. There's really a lot of flexibility and latitude in what you can do with your volunteer time here. The various volunteer programs available are your baseline dog walking. You can work with the cats. You can work with Tony's Kitty Rescue. You can work with the small animals, rabbits, guinea pigs, snakes, birds, chickens. The benefits are so much. You always have an appreciative audience. They're always happy to see you. Do you feel like some of the things you've learned here have helped you with your own dogs in terms of understanding behavioral? <laughs> the training they don't have, yes. Yes, and... Uh, it's things that you learn, you know, as we all usually outlive our dogs. Uh, every time, you know, every time you get a new dog, you'll have new skills to teach them. One of the programs we have is our behavior and training program. Again, another program that's uh, uh, being staffed by not an employee or a member of the community. And one of the programs that she has is dog socialization. We started this new program three years ago where we have canine socialization in the afternoons. So all the dogs available for adoption get to come out and play with each other for two hours. We have a two-hour period, five days a week. So it's, it's a time when dogs can really get incredible exercise and play with other dogs. And then we have remedial socialization needs too. It's just fabulous for the dogs. They need the socialization. They get more exercise than they can any other way because they really run and tumble and, and really wear themselves out. So in the afternoons when most doctors are coming to look, they're quiet, they're settled. So then I started coming down here, and I would come you know, different times. It's quick, though. When somebody sees a dog, and they love it. You know, it's like, that. Ah, so you have to be quick. So... After about three weekends, this weekend, the past weekend, it worked. I saw him, he connected, I connected, spent a couple hours with him, came back, and then I just took care of the paperwork. So what was your overall experience working with animal care control, the people? Unbelievable. 
uh, unbelievable. From the guys who came out to my house, really great guys who saw my house to inspect it, from everyone who's here, I was just really impressed. They're just really friendly, knowledgeable, and just good all-around people. And they care about the animals, and they want to make sure they get to good homes. And that was that came through very clearly to me. If you're coming down for a visit, which is a great place to visit, bring your family. Look at the animals we have for adoption and hopefully fall in love and maybe take one home with you. You could just look at our grooming program. Look at our volunteer program. Many people come down here, they walk through the shelter, they look at it, and then they go by the volunteer office and say, hey, this is my animal shelter, I want to be part of it. If you're thinking about adopting a new friend into your home, you can find advice on the Animal Care and Control website. Visit sfgov.org ACC for checklists to keep your pet happy and safe. Next time on City in Focus, we'll walk the streets of San Francisco and learn about disability access. And we'll look up to the highest points of the city to see how emergency communications are all around us. If you have a question about City in Focus, or want to suggest a topic for the next show, send us an email. Our address is sfgtv at sfgov.org. Thanks for watching City in Focus. See you next time on SFGTV.